Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Shane Metcalf is a seasoned executive coach and speaker who obsessed with building healthy organizations and creating the opportunity for people to have meaningful work and meaningful relationships. Driven by his deep belief in the potential for our species, Shane co-founded 15.5, industry-leading performance management software that is unlocking the potential of the global workforce. As chief culture officer, Shane understands what fundamentally motivates people, how to architect high performance, and which principles and rituals create self-organizing cultures. Along with his co-founder, David Hassel, Shane has developed the best self-management methodology, which posits that by supporting people in learning, growing, and becoming their best selves over time, the natural byproduct is uncommonly high performance and loyalty. I had to pause on the word posits because I was not one of the smart kids. You apparently were one of the smart kids. <laughs> and, and I didn't write that either. <laughs> right? We always sound so good in our bios and someone else does it for us. Yeah. Shane, welcome to the uh, Second Command Podcast. I'm looking forward to this. Cameron, it's a real pleasure. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. And it's a great chance to get to chat with somebody that's been such a longtime companion of 15.5. Yeah, so I've I met David, gosh, probably 15 years ago. We have uh, spent a lot of time through the Entrepreneurs Organization together. We have um, talked a lot on the phone. I've been an advisor to to 15.5 years ago. Full caveat, I'm a small investor in the company as well. And then also, um, we've hung out at Burning Man together a bunch of times. So, And I just, just bumped into one of his good friends, Gabe Luna, the other day. I was speaking to YPO in um, the Bay Area, and I bumped into one of his friends, Gabe, who I'm sure you've known forever too. Yeah, yeah, Gabe's, Gabe's a great guy. Yeah, so why don't you just tell us a little bit about 15.5 just so we know, you know what the company is and um, kind of understand that before we dive into everything else. Yeah, sure. So 15.5, we are a continuous performance management solution. And so if you think about, you know, if we can unpack that a little bit. So you think about traditional performance management of saying, hey, we're going to, once a year, we're going to... Uh, through a performance review, and then we're going to get essentially a grade for each one of our employees, and then we're going to do things like stack ranking and use use that grade to determine whether we're going to promote people, whether we're going to fire people, and kind of distribute rewards through the company. And so, what that has done, and you know, we have to remember this all came out of kind of uh, uh, industrial revolution mindset that. You know, once a year is a frequent enough time to get a pulse on how people are doing, and you know we kind of uh, determine where we go from there. And it's that's a it's a massively inadequate model for this current day and age. Mm. You think about most employees get more feedback about what they ate for, on, for breakfast than what the work they did this past week, let alone the past three months, let alone the past six months, let alone the past year. And so essentially what we're doing with 15.5 is we're looking at how do we create generative feedback loops inside of a company where we can influence the employee and manager relationship in a positive direction. Now, we have a lot of tools for, you know, the, the heads, of, heads of people, heads of HR, for executives, so that you can get a, a broad overview of everything that's going on with your people. But the true north is positively influencing and improving the employee manager dynamic. 
you know, they, they the stats are 70% of people leave their job, not because of the company, but because they're boss. Their boss. Yeah. And so if we can influence that, we're going to have a profound effect on size and a company's performance, their retention, the overall culture, because we think that if you ask better questions, you have better conversations, you're going to see better results. So I want to ask you a couple of questions about that, about the, the tool itself. I was going to start somewhere else because I, I know the company a little bit more intimately than I would normally know on an interview, but um, I want to lead off of some of what you just said. So this tool itself is a pretty complex tool now, but it's also been, you've kept it pretty lean, but how do you introduce these methodologies to companies or systems to companies when they're not used to operating this way? Um, Cause you're getting yeah. them to change a little bit the way that they operate for the better. Um, how do you get them to do that? Yeah, sure. So, you know, and just as a broad overview of the different solutions that we do provide. So we have an asynchronous weekly check-in. We have one-on-one -on -one agendas, which are informed by the asynchronous check-in. Uh, we have a, an OKRs or goal setting plat objectives and key results. Um, platform that's also flexible enough to accommodate most other goal setting methodologies like rocks and uh, things like that uh, then we also have performance reviews what, that we actually call best self reviews because our belief is that the a quarterly or a biannual performance review should really actually be geared towards helping somebody improve in ways that are meaningful to them and meaningful to the business that it's not, not so much about getting a grade, which actually creates, you know, the research shows that, you know, ratings actually increase a fixed mindset and decrease mm. performance. Um, whereas, you know, uh, the way that we've taken this, which is all backed by the cutting edge social science, actually creates more of a growth mindset, helps people think about, well, who do I want to become? How, what are the ways that I want to grow and develop? What are the ways that I want to impact the company? How do I want to use my strengths? in a more uh, uh, significant capacity. You know, am I really fulfilled by the work that I'm doing? And is, could there be a better role for me? It's interesting. I love that you talked about the, the rankings hurt performance. I just did a, a quick video this morning on LinkedIn and I was saying that the leader's job is really to do four things. Number one is to make sure their team is working on the right stuff. So we get the highest ROI. Secondly, is to make sure their team has the skills to do the stuff that they're working on. Third, to make sure that they've got the confidence and they're excited about working what they're working on. And then, then fourth is to make sure they feel loved and, and accepted and valued inside of this kind of group that they're in. And yeah. if, they, if you do all those four things, you're going to get the results, right? I, I, absolutely. I mean, they're so, and it's so great because we could go, we could do a whole, whole podcast <laughs> on each one of those topics. You mm -hmm. know, how do you, how do you engineer a company that increases the likelihood that people feel loved and accepted and the, uh, that deep sense of belonging? How yeah. do you, how do you make sure people are actually intrinsically motivated to do their work? I mean, ah, there's so much incredible. Huge, yeah, stuff. lots to cover there for sure. You, you as a company, 15.5 has really evolved over the years. When you first started, I think, as you mentioned, you'd have the, the asynchronous check-ins. 15.5 really was that pretty much at the beginning, right? It was just the a report that takes your employees 15 minutes to fill out, takes you five minutes to read it. You kind of check in weekly. That was really how you started, wasn't it? And then you kind of evolved and built in the, the goal setting and then you built in the best self reviews. Is that accurate? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting because while the, while the product has grown quite a bit, it's on the outside, it still actually occurs. It's pretty simple. You mm -hmm. know, for the end user, you're still, you still do the check-in and, you know, you set your, your OKRs, your goals at the beginning of the quarter, but then they're, that's all integrated into the weekly check-in. And so one of our, you know, one of our core values, values is keep it simple, which is a, a hard value to keep 
simple. Uh, you know, like simplicity it can be enormously complex. You know, you think of the iPhone and how simple it is, but how much complex engineering goes into keeping it simple. And so, you know, in, engineers, when they join our company, they think, oh, okay, seems like a pretty simple product. Um, then they get into the code base and they're like, whoa, this is massive. Right. A lot of work to keep it simple. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Um, and, I've and always... So that, it, and, and, you know, like, so the heartbeat of the product still is the weekly check-in and there's a lot more to it and there's a lot more to come. There are some really interesting areas that we're are excited about on the roadmap, but it still does come back to that weekly check-in. It's just a, it's just a habit of, of, of engaging in a little bit of self-reflection about how you're doing and what's going well and where you're stuck and answering, answering these simple questions that can really lead to some extraordinary results. How do you balance as a company listening to your customer, listening to the needs of the product and not building something that's more and more complicated and, and really, you know, you think about Microsoft Excel with the thousands and thousands of features that nobody uses. And then, you know, there's 12 that we all use. How do you balance out building out that insanely great product, keeping it simple, listening to your customers, but not overbuilding? Oh God, I'm so happy that I don't have to be the one that solves that problem because that is a real, it's a, it's a ball of yarn because we have to, we have to be responsive to our customers. And, mm. and why I say that is that we have incredible product leaders that are, that are much smarter about how to balance all of these things. Um, but, it, but certainly it is a mix of being responsive to customers, you know, and, and as we sell to larger and larger organizations, the need, the needs of different sizes of organizations are vastly different. A 3000 person company has a lot of very different needs than a 30 person company. And, and so it's about being able to build, build solutions that, that can really work for the larger companies, but that also don't overwhelm the smaller companies. Cause you know, our, mm -hmm. our, our, our stated vision is to help unlock the potential of every member of the global workforce. We want to, we want to participate in the sea change of how we think about our people, how we create companies, how we manage our work. And so in order to do that, we need to build a product that is going to be available and accessible to a multitude of different sized companies. And so it's a little bit of a, you know, the Steve Jobs approach of, of building things that our customers don't even know they want. Right. You know, and like, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, well, well, so, so building the thing, like having the vision of where this thing, this whole world of work is going and being able to build features that, that are a little ahead of that curve. And then also being responsive to, uh, you know, people saying, look, I need a very specific type of reporting available for when I run my, my best self reviews and I need to be able to extract this kind of data from it and have these kinds of insights generated uh, for the specific teams. And so we say, okay, great. Well, let's, let's balance that out. Is this feature going to generate universal value for the majority of our customer base? Because the, one of the worst things that I think can happen to a company like ours is you get into custom engineering for individual right. clients. Yeah. Do you use and all of the like, features? Oh, they're, they're throwing a million dollars at us. And so let's build this one off thing. And then it just all goes south from there. Yeah. It's, I think it's really dangerous to follow that track. And plus it also isn't teaching the salespeople to sell what we have. They're, they're always coming back in. But if we had these three things, I could get a yes. No, well, no, if you learned how to handle the objections, you could get a yes. Yeah. Um, 
do you use all the features and functionality that 15.5 has internally at the company? Yeah, so I run our instance of 15.5 for the most part. I'm, I'm, I'm the one that's in there tweaking and modifying and coming up with the, the questions on a regular basis. I use uh, probably 90% of it. There's a couple of things that I think that we could utilize a little bit more. I mean, we have some cool stuff. The, you know, and in a way, I'm almost a victim of kind of similar of if you're use if you're used to using a product in a certain way and it grows in the time that you're using it, you know, stay within the bounds of your own comfort zone because you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, well, this is how I know to use it, and so this is how I use it, and customer new customers that are coming on and that are part you know participating in our very thorough implementation process where we have you know implementation specialists and customer success managers training the whole company on how to use everything they they almost you know I almost feel like we should have an implementation specialist for our own instance of 155 <laughs> um, for sure I'd say that one of the the areas that we could utilize more is in the uh, the personal profiles where you can have every single person in the company write out their aspirational job titles as well as listing out their strengths. And what's interesting, this is this is coming directly from the research that Adam Grant has done uh, uh, on job crafting, where if you give people the, uh, the some of the autonomy to start thinking about, well, what are their strengths and passions, and 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 how does that match up with their skills. And you start to do a little bit more of a customized job description and you start moving people towards um, like what we like to call it, like zone of genius. Yeah. And you get people operating in their zone of genius, doing the things that actually give them energy and are contributing value to the company. That's when you really unlock high performance. Yeah, and so I think that there's, there's ways we could utilize that a little bit more. And there's also ways that I'm waiting for the product to catch up so that it's a little bit more in the natural flow of using it, using everything. How do you, how do you sell into the big organizations or the midsize organizations where you're trying to get your product adopted and, and you know, you, you would love all the employees to use it, but clearly if you just got the marketing group, that would be a big win. Cause then you can kind of grow first. How do you get in the doors? And then secondly, how do you grow virally inside of the organization? Yeah. So one of the advantages that we have over our competitors is that we have self-service. You know, any any manager in the world can, or you know, English speaking world, I should say, can sign up for a self serve trial of fifteen five, and roll it out to their team and be up and running within a week. And so, say you're uh, um, in a larger organization and you have a team of fifty people, you can you can launch fifteen five with those fifty people, and we we see this happen all the time. And so we get a foothold, they start getting that traction with those 50 people, start seeing some really interesting results. And then, you know, there's two things. One, we'll be paying attention to that. So then we'll send in an account manager, start having those conversations, start exploring what are the possibilities, get introductions upstream from them. But then also what happens is typically people start hearing about it inside the organization and say, whoa, that seems really interesting. I want to try that out with my team. And so maybe we'll get a couple of small teams inside of a larger organization and then, then we'll send in a sales rep and start talking to, you know, the CPO or somebody to say, look, you already have four teams using this. Let's look at what's possible if we were to get everybody at the company using it. Because 15.5 is, it's almost like a Metcalf's law, which is, which is great since I'm a Metcalf, but is that the, the value of a network is square to the number 
of its users, something like that. And I think it was really created with the, with the telephone. Like the more people using a telephone, the more valuable telephones become. Right. Yeah. And so inside of a company, the more people are in, in a company that are using 15.5, the more useful 15.5 becomes because I can, I can tag somebody in another department on a problem that I'm, that my direct report is having. And then they're looped into that conversation immediately and we can begin problem solving. Um, it's interesting in the, waiting. in the in the early days when when you guys were starting, I was trying to get David to to consider some way to create this viral nature to the product, where you, occasionally you had to either send a report to another business area, or tag someone in another business area, or ask another business area about something, and they'd be like, "Oh, what's this fifteen five thing?" And not necessarily make them download the app and use it, but they had to kind of be exposed to it. Do you do that at all at, at getting you into the other business area, and, is, and has that been effective? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that we're, we're certainly seeing some organic uh, ways that that happens. You know, high fives, which is our peer appreciation recognition tool. Mm. And, you know, just some quick notes, like on, on appreciation. I mean, we're seeing kind of ridiculous numbers where in performance, if somebody feels appreciated and recognized at work, their performance, and, and this is almost hard to believe, but I just saw the stat that goes up 80%. That there's this, Amazing. this, you know, that because part of, part of what the new science of human thriving is really understanding is that, uh, humans have needs, you know, we actually have these, these fundamental needs that if met lead us towards self-actualization, you know, kind of Maslow's hierarchy. Maslow's hierarchy and, yep. and so there's, there's belonging and esteem. And I think appreciation really goes right to the heart of belonging and esteem. That if somebody is actually recognizing you, thanking you for the very specific behaviors and results that you're generating, you're going to feel appreciated. It's going to increase the psychological safety. It's going to create an entire, uh, you know, oxytocin and dopamine cocktail in your brain that just your brain drips that, and it actually changes your biology, changes your nervous system, primes your nervous system for success. And so, if you're having that, if you you know, you know, there's another cool concept in positive psychology around the positivity ratio, which is the number of positive emotional experiences and interactions to negative emotional experiences slash interactions that you have in any relationship. And so, you know, if you take this to the company wide level, you know, most companies are appreciation deficient. Mm, big time. And, and if you just get that ratio a little more balance, a little more, you know, some people say five to one, some people say three to one, there's some debate around what it actually is, but it's, it's probably between three and eight positive interactions to every one negative interaction. And, and so what high fives does is it immediately starts to increase the positivity ratio inside of an organization. And the viral loop on that is that, you know, I, I, I had a, cross collaboration with somebody, I want to be able to give them a high five. If they're not on 15.5, they'll still receive the high five. Uh, so I can, I can type in any email. I can type in my mom's email and give my mom a high five. And she'll know that it came five. from 15.5 though? Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. It'll come in in a 15.5 email. Yeah. Perfect. And, and it'll say, mom, uh, thank you for being the best mom ever in the way that you cared for me and loved me as a child in the way that you continue to listen to me and have deep and meaningful conversations about our lives is, uh, makes me just so appreciative. 
Um, and I'm really grateful. Thank you for being my friend. And was, boom, you know, there she gets, she gets that, she gets that in the email and, uh, she's going to love getting that. And she'll be like, wow, that's really cool. And she'll see, um, everything else that is associated with 15.5 and creates a little bit of a, an invitation into the 15.5 ecosystem. And well, now that, can we, that was we how more 20, yes. Yeah. 20, 25 years ago, that's how Hotmail launched their entire company it was at the bottom of every email that said, get your free Hotmail address. And that's all they did. It was just every single outward touch they had from people outside of their loop got infected with that virus. And all of a sudden, everybody wanted a hotmail address. I don't know whatever happened to them, but um, um, it makes me uh, makes some fond memories of my old hotmail account. Sure, grew like crazy. I had somebody the other day send me an email from an AOL account. I'm like, dude, you gotta lose that. That's crazy. I know I, it's it's amazing how much we judge somebody when they send us. You know, occasionally we'll see people sign up for 15.5 with a Hotmail or an AOL account. And this is like, what are you like? I, I will never, you will never get a job. I don't even, yeah, I don't even know where you would go to check that. It's incredible. Talk to me about, um, about some of the PR that you've received. You guys as an organization have got a lot of press coverage. Why do you think that is? Uh, well, certainly you've been advising us for a long time <laughs> on, you know, maximize PR and it's actually really great. I, uh, uh, just this morning, we hired our first internal PR manager. Awesome. And, and so it was fun. I just had a one-on-one -on -one with her. She's a weekend. And she, she, she's coming from, the, you know, from an agency side for a year as a fairly cutthroat PR agency. And so she's like yeah. walking around our culture in a daze. Like, I can't believe this is real. Like, what? Really? People actually care about you? And um, it was fun hearing some of her war stories of, of what it's like working in a, in a kind of hardcore PR agency. But, um, you know, so, so you've been, you've been advising this for a long time. And, and I was telling her that it was fun timing for me to have the one-on-one -on -one since, you know, seven years ago, you were saying hire a, hire a PR person internally to just, you know, all day try to get us press. And so, you know, I think that we, we, we've worked at some great agencies over the years that have also really played a big role in helping us get some really good PR. And I feel like we're just, we're just starting to really find the things that resonate in a really big way. And there's a fun story recently that actually put us on the map in a pretty big way, which is we recently decided, but right, well, back up a little bit. We, we have a, something that internally that we call the Best Self Academy. And this is a resource library of both resources and experiences that we pay for our employees to have access to. And so there's a couple of different workshops that we'll pay for people to go to if they want to. It's all voluntary. We don't force people to do anything. Um, and, you know, that have made really significant changes and created transformation, both David and I's life. And we said, well, why wouldn't we want everyone to have access to this? Sure. Most people don't even know they exist. And so this year we were thinking about it and we were saying, you know, what's, what are some of the other really impactful experiences that we've had that we think would benefit the majority of people? And we immediately were like, well, well, Burning Man. I mean, awesome. you know, uh, I've, I've been going for 12 years. David's gone. Me and David have had some of our best one-on-ones at Burning Man, you know, yeah. real heart to heart, like, key moments of, you know, like, you know, struggle and breakthrough in the company have happened at Burning Man for us personally. And so we decided, you know, let's, let's include 
anybody at 15.5, we will buy your first ticket to Burning Man. And it's awesome. Uh, that was really fun because a, it's personally meaningful for me to be at a point where we can do that. And I can say, all right, we've got 170 people. And so we'll buy 160 tickets to Burning Man. If every person wants to go to Burning Man, we'll buy every single person a ticket to Burning Man. And your um, gift bag, now, of, your of, gift bag of magic mushrooms and a t-shirt. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Have, have fun. And, um, I, you know, so I'll, I'll maybe answer, we'll see I'll you on the, the other side. I think the reason you've actually received so much PR as a company is less about my systems and it's more about the fact that you guys have been a very heart-centered company and very focused on culture, which is not about the perks and very kind of open and trans, um, uh, open and vulnerable. And I think that has, the media has um, treated you very kindly because they, they trust you, they believe you. It's a lot of your media has been about your customer successes as well and how the products are changing companies and lives. And it's been less about, you know, look at us, look at us. I think yeah, and I mean, and I think that's the real interesting story, right? Is like, how do we, mm. how do we rehumanize business? How can we build our companies where we get to bring our full selves to work, and we get to actually become better people through the experience of work? You know, because it's like we spend so much of our time at work, and so if if it's actually in a, a generative upward spiral where we actually grow in our relational skills we grow in our ability to empathize and listen and understand people and get curious and give feedback with, with kindness and curiosity. That's going to radiate into all areas of our life. We're going to, we're going to have better relationships with our family, our loved ones. We're going to have better friendships, more meet, more depth. And, um, and so I think that, yeah, that it really has been uh, one of the primary goals of us building this company. And it's great to see, I think I have amazing timing as well, Cameron, that the rest of the world is starting to understand these things are important and yeah, but I don't, they don't, I don't really think, know. I, I uh, think you're being too nice to yourself. I don't think it has much to do with timing at all. You started this company how long ago? 10 years ago? Uh, it, yeah, I joined eight years ago. David was working on it for, I think, 10 years about now. Right. Okay. So like, you know, it's kind of takes a long time to get to the night before you become the overnight success story. So yes. we're going to talk about the fact that you just raised 35-ish million. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So we raised 31 in a Series B. And right before that, we raised uh, 8 million in Series A. Okay. So I want to go prior to the 8 million. You guys were on Vapor. David was going through a divorce, a, quite an amicable one with he and his ex Casey. Yep. Um, very kind of heart centered, focused on their little boy. Wonderful that they were able to go through it as friends, which is great, but struggling hard emotionally. Yeah. Um, but struggling on cash. You guys just didn't have any cash and you were kind of running along at, you know, you'd add four customers and lose two and you'd add three and lose one. It was like, I don't know where this is ever going to become a company. It's kind of cute and I like the tool, but how did you guys get through we had that? A very different we had a very different perspective. <laughs> I mean, it's actually, it's, it's quite interesting because, you know, when we had, you know, um, hundreds of thousands, not tens of millions in the bank, right. we actually, there's, there's ways that we, we felt very secure because we were cash flow positive. You know, we yep. had about three, three, four years of being cash flow positive. Yep. And so we didn't have, we had vapor in the bank, but we, we knew we were default alive. Yeah. You were default alive. You're right. You were growing and it was okay. And you weren't burning, but it was just, 
So, but how do you go through that as a company, especially you're based in the Bay Area, you're based in this kind of center of like raise, grow, raise, grow. How did you guys yeah. work through that with your teams? How do you work through that psychologically? And what do you, what do you focus on when you can't just go and spend your way to success? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, you know, our perspective was that the, that VC money is not figure shit out money. You know, VC money isn't, uh, well, we think we have product market fit, but we don't really know, but we're going to say we do. And so we're going to go raise millions of dollars and just try to brute force our way into product market fit. And we said, look, like we aren't going to, we probably could have raised an A well before we actually did, but we really wanted to figure out repeatable, scalable lead generation and sales systems before we put all the money into it because then it would be, you know, just pouring, you know, having a, a jet engine that we think, you know, weren't really confident in and then burn a bunch of money through it to see if we could get liftoff. Instead, we really took an approach where we said, let's grow slow and steady. You know, we were, we were growing. It was a little bit more of a ultra, uh, Jason Calcanis called us the ultra marathon runners of his yeah. portfolio, you know, just kind of slow and steady running slow along and, steady. and, you know, um, and, and so what we did in that time, and I think this is, uh, was, it was a real blessing was that we got to continue to refine our culture. We got to continue to refine our philosophical perspective on how to treat people internally. We kept a very strong, uh, a shared, powerful context that the purpose of our company is to unlock the potential of every member of the global workforce. And we content, we, you know, we use that as the true North, the, the mm. magnetizing, uh, co, you know, element that would create cohesion and alignment. We continue to get to know each other as a really, uh, a small, intimate, you know, I mean, we were sub 30 people for most of that time. Yeah, yeah. And we got to develop such a solid bedrock of our culture. And again, again, in uh, eight years, we've had five people voluntarily leave the company. And one of those people, you know, might come back and then it's down to four. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. But, you know, virtually zero turnover. Yeah. We, we got to continue to invest in people's own personal development. We got to, you know, because we have all of these cultural rituals and practices and group habits that we do that, that default move us towards more connection and more vulnerability and more trust. What, and do, that's, what do you think you can do better as a team? Where do you think you guys can improve in that area? Um, well, I mean, accountability, you know, so when, when I uh, occasionally every other year or so, I run Patrick Lencioni's five dysfunctions of a team assessment with the leadership mm -hmm. team. Mm -hmm. And one of the areas that we've not been as strong on is accountability. You know, we get, we get really high marks on trust and conflict and commitment and results, but accountability is usually the, the lower one on the totem pole. And, and it's interesting because um, if you know David as you do, you know, David's somewhat conflict averse. Uh, he's a nine Enneagram. Uh, and which, so it's kind of like, hey, let's, let's kind of make peace. Let's not necessarily do the things that like holding people accountable in ways that make them uncomfortable. And we've, I, we, I think we've grown a lot in that in the last two years. Our CRO, Brad 
McGinnity, I think, is actually really strong on that line of development. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. he's brought in some really great energy into the team. And, you know, Brad's been a phenomenal contribution to the whole company and helping us create these scalable sales processes. Um, but I think that the, you know, because we're moving into higher and higher stakes games. You know, we're, you know, we aren't just default alive. Uh, you know, uh, we can keep running as long as we want. Yeah, you're in great. Regardless of, of our growth rate. It's now like, oh, okay, cool. We just raised, you know, $39 million. And there's some expectations that have come along with that money. And so it's about like, how do we, how do we create extremely high levels of psychological safety while also holding people accountable to extraordinary levels of performance? Because we need to competitions heating up. The space is getting so much recognition and we're, we're signing up to, for continued massive growth. And all that really does require, I think, high degrees of accountability on, on everyone's part. So what is changing now that then you've got this cash? Where do you guys have to, to change? I know you're not pivoting in terms of the product or service, but where are you starting to focus your time that maybe you didn't before? Well, I mean, we've, we've historically been underinvested in product. You know, we had a very lean product team and we did incredible things with very few people. And so the, one of the main reasons why we decided to raise the Series B was to be able to be over-invested in product. And over-invested, I just mean compensate and catch up a little bit and be, be able to accelerate our product development because there's so okay. many cool things that we uh, are want to do that we need to do in the product. And that is, you know, I mean, we, uh, you know, kind of fun, fun thing is, so in January, every January or once a year, I might shift the date, but once a year we have a company-wide retreat and we bring everybody together in person for kind of a three-day, three-and-a-half, four-day transformational business retreat. I take elements from Burning Man and Landmark Forum and, you know, all these different kind of transformational experiences with some, you know, a smattering of business strategy thrown in there and create these incredible experiences. And that's really fun. But in January, we had 70 people, 70 people in the whole company. Uh, right now, this week, the product and engineering teams are meeting in Portugal for their own little meetup. And that's 70 people alone. Wow. Wow. And so, you know, it's, it's really exciting because we've been in this mad hiring dash all year. And we now have, for the most part, a solid, really solid engineering and product team that is, is going to, is, is already starting to move the needle really fast on what we're able to build and the quality of what we're building. What, what's going to change with your leadership team and your management team now that you have this extra cash in? Do you have to bring in the next layer of talent or do you just have to keep focusing on growing the team you've got? What are you focusing on there? Yeah, uh, leadership team is definitely growing. We're, you know, we're, we've got, for the most part, every bench filled, most of the bench is filled. We are uh, uh, hiring a CFO right now. And mm-hmm. so that's going to be really exciting. And I think that's going to be a really kind of CFO operations. And that's going to, I think, be really helpful on a number of fronts. But, you know, we've used third party firm until now for, for finance. And 
we have enough money moving through the business now that we really need somebody full time internally that understands all the nuance, sits in on all the leadership meetings, is, is knows the flavors of everything that's happening and isn't, you know, each one of us on the leadership team going and making our wish list of the third party consulting firm and saying and them saying, Yeah, sure. And then and then realizing all the puzzle pieces don't fit together because there wasn't one master architect sitting in the center of everything. Yeah, so that's, that's that's a that dangerous we're really stage. Um, you and David co co kind of founding this company, um, kind of growing it really from the earliest days. How do you divide and conquer? How do you split up your roles and responsibilities between the two of you? Yeah. So, you know, David's, um, first of all, I'm, I'm so grateful for David. David's been, was one of the greatest blessings in my life and our relationship is, you know, we're, we're closer and trust each other more than we did at the beginning. And we're more excited by the work that we're doing as a company than we did when we started the company and we, you know, we think of it as, you know, what, what's great is that we have a really deep philosophical alignment around the purpose of the company and the purpose mm. of how we want the impact we want to have on the people internally and on the world at large. And so one of the great things that I have yeah, as chief culture officer is I'm not in opposition to my CEO. I'm not, fighting and trying to like convince him that, Hey, people are important. We need to invest in our people. We need to maintain an extraordinary culture. You know, that's a default and a, and a, a full alignment from the whole leadership team. Um, David's David's primary responsibilities in the company are to keep, keep it funded, make sure we always have cash in the bank and enough money, enough capital and access to capital to do whatever we need to do as opportunities arise some set some of the strategic level of the of of where we're going and you know david's a david's you know his number one strength is futuristic and so he's constantly looking several steps ahead and creating the alignment and the strategy from there um where and then and then managing the leadership team and and making sure that everyone is is um, set up for success. Um, you know what I do. Um, a, I'm still I figure out what I'm doing every day. It's like, wait, <laughs> what am are. I doing here? Um, so you know, like we ha- we've we have something pretty special. I mean, we have a five star rating on Glassdoor, um, which is pretty uncommon for our stage um, for the number of people that we have. We you know we almost zero turnover internally of the the people that we want to stay almost every person stays that's amazing and so my my job is to ensure that we to the best of our ability scale the magic that we have as a culture and you know it's no longer i i can no longer go around all of our offices and meet with every person in the company and and ensure, you know, just do that through brute force. It's really about continuing to scale our systems and processes to ensure that everybody has a voice in the company, that our managers are the best managers on the planet. You know, one of my goals is to be able to put on the website, and we're not quite there yet, but I want to put on our website that one of the, like the best perk at 15.5 amongst the perks that we do have is that you are going to love your manager. And if you don't, we're going to do something about it. 
whether it's getting you another manager or helping you have a breakthrough with that manager. Because it, it all goes back to the manager. You know, we can build an, inc- I, can, I can have the most incredible 15-5 global culture, but if you don't like your manager, your manager doesn't like you, you don't have a good communication style together, it's going to break down and you're going to leave the company. It's interesting. I think back to years ago when we were building 1-800-GOT-JUNK and one of the business areas I grew was the PR team. And I, at one point, had them up to about six full-time in-house PR people that were just cranking out stories. We landed 5,200 stories about the company in six years. But at one point, we needed them to have someone to report to. And uh, we were also going to build a national account sales team. So we wanted to hire a VP of sales. And we let the six PR managers actually interview and select and hire their VP that they would report to. So you talk about yeah. like loving the yeah. person that you're going to report to. Well, they, you got to pick them. So they couldn't complain right. about their boss anymore. It's like you pick the guy. Well, and, and, and again, it's about giving people some of that autonomy, some of that control. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like people, people want to have a sense that they have some, some say on their destiny. And so if you just, you know, top down, this is your new boss, love them or leave. You know, it, it, that alone sets somebody up to probably not like their boss because they don't yeah. have a voice. They don't have an opinion that's actually listened to. Not that we need to run everything like a democracy and everyone gets an equal vote. No, like no. That's not, that can also be a, a really troublesome model. But um, in general, including people in decision-making process is a really valuable way to help people feel valued. What do you think the biggest insights are that you've learned about operations and leadership from your customers using 15.5? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I think that one, everybody uses the tool in slightly different ways that, you know, we have, um, you know, just even a couple of years ago, I ran a report and we had over 10,000 unique questions asked through the platform every week. Wow. And so, you know, there's a lot of different priorities in companies. There's, I think there's some real universals around improving employee manager conversation is always going to win. But companies have, are at different stages of growth and development and have very different needs at those different stages. And if you can find the right questions, you can solve the whatever the problem is that you're currently facing at that level of, of growth and development as a company. And so the, it's kind of like in strengths finder, one of the strengths is called individualization, which is understanding that everybody's an individual. And if you understand what uniquely motivates them, then you're going to help unlock their potential. Yep. And so I think that understanding that every company is also an individual, every company is unique and being able to, have a, you know, and that's where I think our CSMs come in play is helping companies understand the right strategy, the right questions to ask, the right things to really be paying attention to, the right conversations to start having as a collective. That is how you're going to navigate the individual complexities of that company. Mm, totally. Yeah, it makes sense. All right. Last couple of questions. If you were to think about the last 10 years for you or eight, 10 years, where have you had to continually work on yourself and your strengths as a COO or second in command? Yeah. So, I mean, sheesh, that's a, that's a, you know, where do I begin? One of the interesting things that has been in the last couple of years is actually really leaning into more of my public speaking. And, mm-hmm. you know, even just three years ago, 
we were at a, one of our company retreats and David asked the question, what would have to happen in the next year for you to know that it was a really like a, a breakthrough year for you? And I kind of sheepishly said, I'd speak at, a, at one business conference and immediately regretted saying it, you know, because then David, of course, weeks later passes me over an opportunity to speak at a conference. I'm like, damn you, David. <laughs> and, and I've always had a love-hate relationship with public speaking. And, um, and so the last two, you know, and so I did like one talk that year. And last year I did like 40 and I've done, I don't know, 60 or 70 this year. Wow. And, you know, a variety of, of, of webinars and stages and keynotes and, you know, just kind of full gamut meetups and any kind of opportunity I could get to get in front of an audience and open my mouth. I've said yes to. And, and it's cool because it's really, you know, the journey of public speaking, and you probably know this as a speaker, it's a, being able to get up on stage and, and speak authentically. It's, it's kind of the journey, it's a hero's journey through your own deepest insecurities to be able to get good at speaking, or at least it was mm -hmm. for me. And so that has been one of the most transformative. And in a way, it's, it's one of the most recent, I would say, but has also been one of the most rewarding for me personally. So I've always told people that we've always been good at speaking. We've been speaking since we were one year old. One year old. What, what we're bad at is speaking from a stage. And if we can just somehow go on stage and speak to the audience like we speak to our friends, it resonates. But as soon as we try to be a speaker, then it gets yeah. it all breaks down because you're in your head the whole time. How about um, if you were to think back, last question, think back to when you were 21 years old, you were just kind of embarking on your business career. What word of advice would you give yourself back then that you now know to be true, but you wish you'd known a lot younger? Oh, it's a, that, I love that question because uh, 21 is a really interesting age for me. Um, and I think I would, I, would, I would say follow the path, like trust that the you taking the path less traveled because essentially i dropped out of the business world for seven years in my 20s and i pursued all kinds of crazy personal development paths and mm -hmm. lived in strange all you know intentional communities in the bay area and went much more on the personal development interpersonal development path you know took every transformational course i could find in the bay wow. area which is you know endless and and, and it was cool but i was definitely in this period of oh man i am so broke <laughs> you know like i have i have a giant gap on my resume and it's a hard one to explain because i was doing shit that was wasn't conventionally respected as uh, a professional career sure. and yet what is so interesting is that it was all of those experiences everything that i picked up who I became in those experiences and the tools I gained that I've used to build 15.5. And, and is directly correlated to the culture that we have today. And so I would say, I would just tell my 21 year old self, like have faith, follow your own path. Like don't conform, Sure, you sure. know, go against, go against the grain, do the things that nobody else is doing. And trust that it's going to lead you somewhere that is beyond your wildest imagination. Totally got it. Yeah, it makes sense. Because if you just trust that journey and you're following some passion, it's going to continue and you're going to pick up all the learnings along the way. Yeah. Shane Metcalf, yeah. the co-founder and chief culture officer for 15.5. Thanks very much for sharing with us on the Second in Command podcast. I really appreciate it. 
Thanks, Cameron. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.